Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with Martin, well, I'll call him I Martin Willis, the small I. That's right, the I with a capital M. Mm -hmm. Yes, using, uh, I'm via iPhone here, uh, I couldn't make it home. Sorry, Alejandro, but sound okay, right? Sounds great. Yeah, it sounds fine. I wouldn't have even known you were not home had you not told me. I know. I should just keep my trap shut. Mm -hmm. But no, I Uh, called you iMartin because I'm starting to think that perhaps you're an Apple product. I could be. Um, I have no proof that otherwise. I have no proof you're human. Yeah. Well, I made the switch uh, several years ago. And... uh, yeah, it's like I do have all Apple everything. Wow. My well, car I use is Apple everything. Apple. I, I use yeah. up Apple everything. I love Apple. And so uh, that would make sense that I would like to use you on my show because especially if you're some sort of cyborg type of Apple product, the iMartin. Yes. I wish I had a cyborg eye. eye. Mm, that yeah, would be neat. That'd be great. That'd be, neat. be able to see it at night and all that stuff. Be mm. fun. So awesome. my guest today. Uh, is Lee Spiegel. I think you had him not too long ago as a guest. Yes, he's always a blast to have, isn't he? Yep, he's a lot of fun. Now, this time, I wanted to focus on his most recent stories, which have mostly been around space and, uh, like, astrobiology and exoplanets and cool stuff like that. Right, I know. He just had that one about... uh um the planets mm-hmm. he's had several right, about story. planets right recently yeah yeah very good yeah. point so yeah that's the guest uh lee spiegel from huffington's host huffington or no they changed their name to just huff post that's right yeah. mm. so huff post so Which he's uh, been saying that for years himself i've yeah, that's kind of been that a slang term. I remember when Ariana was around and we would use it, uh, he would say uh, she likes the full Huffington Post. But uh, now <laughs> she's not owner anymore. There's a different that's owner, right. and I think she even is uh, stepped down from her editorial role there. So now they've got some, some new kids in there, and they're like, no, nah, man, it's the Huff Post. We're Huff Post, yeah. man. So the, the millennials like to kind of shorten things uh to be cool well you can't blame them mm-hmm. no it's fun to be it's yeah. hip to be square <laughs> i don't right. know if that's true or not but i remember that saying yeah i remember that yeah i remember that phrase so uh news uh that's what you're here for is for the iufo i news yes i am and uh so uh a canadian witness says ufo followed car 50 i mean 20 feet overhead 
Now, this happened uh, not that long ago, April 19th, Canadians. just a couple of days ago. Uh-huh. Um, it's a Canadian witness at Edson. Uh, they, she reported a, a, a glowing object following her vehicle. It was about 20 feet overhead. At first, she thought it was a, a vehicle coming up from behind her. Then she realized that there were no vehicles in sight, and it was a bright yellow-colored light appeared in her rearview mirror. And uh, anyway, she continued to drive. She slowed down a little, hoping that it would pass uh, if it was a vehicle. And that's when she, it, she noticed that it was not behind her and maybe about 20-foot distance above her. So um, then she came up to – it was sort of a yellow-orange color, and it glowed. It was very bright, she says. And uh, so she sped up to get away from it, and it continued at the same speed overhead. For about 15 minutes, which is quite a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she got to, um, I think it was a stop sign, and she was going to make a turn, and the thing went exactly where she was going. So it sounds pretty scary to me. Yeah. Uh, so almost like a close encounters type of situation, you know, right overhead. Except I think he was stopped at a railroad track, wasn't he? It's been so long since I've seen uh, it. Yeah, he stopped at a track, but I think because of the lights and stuff. So we stopped oh, okay. because of the lights and everything. Yeah. But that, yeah, yeah that is pretty weird. Um, I, I don't know if you read this or heard anything about this, but Ridley Scott's been talking about UFOs lately. Yes. And I have I heard about that. actually got to go see Alien Covenant the other day. Um, well, a lot of people are saying it was really good, is it? Well, it doesn't officially start till Friday, this Friday. But I got to see a, a special early press preview, and I would say it's good. It's what you would expect from an alien movie, I think, is the way I would put it. Now, I thought this was out because I thought I saw our good friend Ryan Sprague write something, unless I'm confusing it with something else. You could be. I don't well. know, but it's not out it till could be. Uh, Friday. Oh, wow. Yep, I've been... Yeah. So, but yeah, so uh, anyway, he has, unsurprisingly, you know, especially given his movies, in his movies, you know, everybody's bad. It's like there's a there's maybe a good human or two, but otherwise the rest of the humans are pretty much boneheads and either get themselves killed out of stupidity or um, they're just bad people. Uh, and the aliens, of course, are total a-holes, um, even, you know, in Prometheus <laughs> – they seem the big ones seem to be okay for a minute, and then it turns out that they're jerk offs too. So, um, so of course he wow. feels that aliens are are not the best. Uh, and he has been talking about lately. He told this French. Uh, this is kind of funny. He told these these French guys that, and he believes in aliens. He's really into ancient aliens. Uh, you know, Prometheus. Well, and the alien knew these these right. prequels kind of have that theme to them. And he's really into ancient aliens. But uh, he says that he does believe in them and that they're superior beings. Um, And he says that uh, if you run into them, that you ought to run, that you ought to uh, get the heck out of there. Because he says they're smarter than we are. And if you're stupid enough to challenge them, then you will be taken out in three seconds. Wow. I think you should just, you know, like when a bear comes up to you, you should just like lay down and play dead. I mean, you know, if you run, it's not going to be no, it's not going to be a defense at all. They'll just zap you. 
Yeah, but that's a bear. It's not like bear. Bears don't have tricorders, you know, like in Star Trek where they can say, oh, this creature is actually alive. It's just playing dead. So get it, you know, so shoot it or molest it or something. So the aliens, I'm sure, have tricorders or some sort of technology where they can see, oh, they're just playing possum. Get them. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know. I think... Lose-lose situation. Yeah. So that's what reminded me. You know, I wrote a story about this uh, before I went and saw the movie, but, uh, you know, with this this woman's situation and being scary, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to be safe than sorry, so maybe it would be best to run. I kind of have a new perspective. If you see a UFO, run. What do you think? Well, I, I guess. I mean, I guess they got – but I don't know if that's, you know, I guess it's better than giving up and just saying, you know, uh, take me to your leader or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what you could do, what your defense would be, because you don't know what they can do with their mind if they're really, you know, very far advanced. Yeah, good point. It can just, like, stare at you and, like, your brain will crumble or something. See, that would be a good experiment to um, see what happens. Like, have you and Ridley Scott, you know, in a field, and then they come. You play dead. Ridley Scott runs and see what happens, you know. do they? Maybe they're like dogs and they love it when something runs because then they can chase it. So they're chasing Ridley Scott. Meanwhile, you're yeah. safe because you play dead and you get up and you're like, ha, ha. Or yeah. they're like, hey, or we only needed one, and this this goofy one right here is laying on the ground for some reason. He's not running. Let's just take this one instead of trying to chase the other one. That would yeah, be more efficient. That's, that's probably, you know, it's kind of, that's probably what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. I just give up right now. Or, you know, there's he could be wrong just because, you know, because in his movies, like, all the humans are total a-holes. Humans, I don't think, are totally a-holes. We've talked about this, and sure, a lot of them are, but not all of them. I mean, a lot of them are pretty cool people. I, I would say most of the people, uh, most, not all, of course, and, and maybe you, you listeners feel differently. I don't know how you feel. Most people I meet are pretty decent, pretty cool. They're, you know, they're all right. So um, I think that uh, Ridley Scott's perspective on humanity is a little cynical, so perhaps he doesn't have the alien thing quite right either. Maybe they're nicer than he expects. I think they are. Otherwise, I think we'd know a little bit more about them being gnarly. Um, how would you rate the movie? Oh, how would I rate the movie? That's kind of tough uh, for me. Now, I love space movies. So I love space. Um, and mm-hmm. if you have cool spaceships that look realistic, you know, uh, flying around orbiting planets and, and and flying into the atmosphere and stuff i'm gonna love that so that aspect of this movie i i loved now that aspect of prometheus gave me a sense of awe especially i read about this in my story where you know they're 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 uh landing in that valley and on the far end of that valley is what looks like possibly an ancient alien structure now that's exciting, and that that really gave me like this great sense of awe. I never felt that sense of awe in this movie, even though they had some grandiose mm. sets that where they could have inspired that. But the sets were just kind of the background. It felt almost more like a video game. So it was action mm. adventure with some cool space. So I didn't leave 
incredibly disappointed, but I wasn't super jazzed either. Where, uh, you know, Prometheus, I was kind of torn because I was excited, kind of jazzed about some parts, but also disappointed about some parts. So uh, I had less of an emotional response this time, I guess. So um, it's hard to say. I would maybe put it around a out of ten. How many stars? A one out of ten. How many are you, how many stars are you giving me? Uh, well, usually it's isn't it five stars? But yeah, but anyway, yeah, do whatever you want. I mean, I'm gonna you know? say three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm a pretty hard grader though, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know why. I, I guess maybe it was Prometheus that uh, Sprague was talking about. Hmm. Now I, I will say, but uh huh. No, no, go ahead. It's going to get more, one more movie review that I'd probably give at least a four. Um, it was silly, but it was the perfect Mother's Day movie. We saw Stranded with uh, Karen, my girlfriend, and her two daughters. Now, it is uh, 18 and older. Oh, yes. Uh, film, but uh, it was really funny. I got to say, I'm not the biggest Amy Schumer fan. I, I think she's kind of funny. Um, her stand-up, I, I, yeah. but uh, this was really funny. It was pretty good. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that. Mm-hmm. That movie. Yeah, I don't think it's been advertised like hugely, um, mm-hmm. but I think they got it out just in time because it's w- with Amy Schumer and her mom and this adventure they have. But it was pretty funny. That was pretty good. All right. Yeah. So there we go. Is that it? Uh, I guess that is it because I did want to share that movie. The only other news that I would like to share with people, and I might as well share it now, is. Uh, and I don't know if you read this, but uh, Linda Zimmerman, who wrote the book about the, the New York UFOs, wrote a story for us about man's best UFO witness. And this is in regards to a uh, sighting that you and I have discussed on the show. And that was the one I think we talked about this last sh- the last show where there was a deer who saw these right. uh, UFOs. So she was inspired then to write about all of these UFO stories she has where dogs are involved. And it's incredible. I th- I love the article because she's right. Um, often pets are involved with UFO sightings and their reactions. There's a wide range of reactions that they have. And her story encapsulates a lot of different um, sightings and a lot of different types of reactions these animals have had. Um, so it's very insightful and a great article. So it's called Man's Best UFO Witness? Um, question mark. And... Uh, it is uh, on the front page of OpenMinds.tv. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a wonder that nobody's ever really written about that. I've never really seen anything written about that. I previously. have seen, like, reports, that, I think, oh, but not, like, a story uh-huh. like this. Um, Could almost be a book if you had enough enough stories. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, when uh, she put this out there, I was so excited. I mean, when she sent it to me and she's like, hey. I was inspired by this recent story to write this article, and I was like, I, I was like, this is awesome. This is perfect. This is great. So, yeah, it's really cool. I love it. Great. I can't. I saw that up in your site, and I will read it because I'm very interested in that. Yeah, check that out when you get so, a chance, she, brother. And Linda is a, uh, she's a really nice lady. Really, really like her. She's cool. Very cool. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess uh, 
we'll talk to another New Yorker. That's Lee Spiegel from Queens here. Uh, unless you have any other news that you had to add? Nope, that's it for me. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. And we'll and talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Talk to you later. Yeah. Let's go ahead and talk to our good buddy, Lee Spiegel. I am happy to welcome back to the show, Lee Spiegel. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Alejandro. Thanks for having me on again. I think this is, our, what, our 56th show together <laughs> or something? I don't know. Maybe not that many, but there's quite a few, although it feels like it's been a while since I've had you on. But you know what? I don't mind having you on several times because our conversations are fun and full of interesting stuff. And speaking of interesting stuff, I am super excited that now uh, your stories, you kind of have, you're writing about more. So it used to be more about UFO stuff, some of which can be kind of boring quite frankly with not a lot going on yeah but now you're doing space stuff and it's cool stuff uh that scientists are doing out there i'm loving your stories well well thank you and and in fact um i just filed a new piece tonight mm. that that i i think you and i hope the readers will like uh there is this uh, new a uh, four-year project that has just begun in uh, Sweden uh, with researchers, and they believe that within the next four or five years, um, there we we will be able to understand the language of dolphins. Finally, the language of dolphins. I didn't know dolphins had a language. You know, um, a lot of researchers and scientists have been kind of going back and forth on this and and there is some indication that um, because of a lot of research that's been done before that it appears that dolphins do have a sense of like they can they can meet up in packs in, in in the ocean and and it seems that because of the kinds of sounds they make they make whistles and clicks and and just hitting noises and and scientists think that what what these noises are is basically the the uh, the mammals r reaching out to each other and calling each other and saying hi by name <laughs> really <laughs> you know? yeah very much the way humans do and 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 they're they're what they're going to try and do now is to use um artificial intelligence software systems that this other company has has been very successful in using with with humans and and it's um, they're hoping that they'll have some breakthroughs but you know the question is is they 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 haven't got a good answer for this yet it's it's kind of only like a halfway satisfactory answer so let's say within the next 4 or 5 years we can figure out what the dolphins are saying i mean okay that would be great all by itself but will this same technology allow the dolphins to know what we're saying Mm -hmm. And there's a trick. Well, they you seem know, to know pretty it, it, well. It, it, I right. I mean, dolphins. They say are, are very quick to pick up on human language. Like uh, surprisingly. Yeah. Well, you know, we we all grew up. You and me, and you know, all the rest of us. You know, are we considered the millennials, or were we the generation before the millennials came along? I can never figure that out. No, I think you. <laughs> 
and this is not to be offensive or anything. I think you're a baby boomer, but I'm a Gen X. And we're oh. neither of us are millennials. <laughs> wow. I completely forgot the Gen X's. Oh yeah. My gosh. I um, forgot my well, whole generation. Well, well, and you know what? It almost doesn't matter what your generation was. Yeah. We all kind of sort of grew up on movies and television. You know, just think of the word flipper <laughs> and you've got it. That was you before know, my all, time, actually. Oh, was Flipper before your time? Yeah. Well, but you I'm sure you must be aware of, of all the various kinds of entertainment that involved dolphins uh, displaying not only incredible intelligence, but seemingly w wanting to communicate with humans, to play with humans, to be friendly with humans. And, and when the owners say, okay, Flipper, go get that ball that's three miles away, and they go, Oh, they go gleefully after the ball. People forget that it, it may not just be because of the intelligence of, of the animal. It's because of the, the actual training. And that's different from an animal understanding the language, per se. Mm -hmm. Well, this is fascinating. Um, I, I love it. But we should probably get back on topic to what... Uh, people uh, from the show are uh, like to hear which is oh they well, love well, to... you know, let, me, let me let me just say one more thing about this oh, the reason okay, okay. I, I brought it up is because what they're what the scientists are now saying is that if that breakthrough happens they can now use this as an application to mm -hmm. prepare to communicate with alien intelligences like the movie arrival if we don't know how to translate aliens talking to us or us talking to them whatever this new technology will be that might work with dolphins they're hoping we can apply it to the next step which is extraterrestrials and so did you interview a scientist about this no um i just i just picked up some information and some quotes um from uh, the, the actually the the bloomberg uh news organization uh got a couple of quotes from scientists involved and i threw those into my story and and that's they something that and they mentioned the extraterrestrials. Uh, actually, the, the extraterrestrial was mentioned by a news organization called Futurism.com. Mm. This, this, this is an organization that deals specifically with science and technology, ongoing science information. And they had a lot of re interesting things to talk about this particular thing that's going on. And they brought up the idea that a really good application of this technology would be alien intelligence. And I, I think they're absolutely right. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really interesting. You know what else is funny? So there's a lot of stories, and, and it seems to be a lot more scientists kind of open to these ideas. And surprisingly, bringing up how their science applies to the search for ET. And uh, yeah, cool enough, you know, this is the exact topic of our, what we're, you and I are going to talk about tonight. Um, Vice had a story today. That was titled, We Are on the Verge of Discovering Aliens, According to These Scientists. And it's about a new book uh, that came out. I, I read, just read this and I ordered it on Kindle, so I'm excited to look at it. But it's called Aliens, the World's Leading Scientists on the Search for Extraterrestrial Life. And, you know, I've been saying that for years. You and I have often teased those people who keep saying, oh, disclosure's just on the horizon. This is going to happen right. tomorrow. 
the the government's going to release right. something about aliens, and, and it hasn't happened. But honestly, I keep saying this same thing that I feel like we're on the verge of the discovery of extraterrestrial life, and I mean like microbes or something like that. Which right, is me too. What this book is talking about, but at the years I've been saying that it hasn't happened, but it does feel like we're getting closer, doesn't it? Oh yeah, <clears throat> I, I and I'm. I'm very quick to respond to people when they say, well, we're we're about to, you know, shake hands with aliens. Well, well we don't know that or or at least we're not being told that uh, because I, I could think of a variety of reasons why disclosure is not going to happen or maybe shouldn't happen just yet in our culture. But I, I, I now do you know offhand if this book um, is specifically targeted when they say aliens, do they mean aliens who walk and talk and want to help us and or eat us or something like that? I mean, real aliens? Well, it actually uh, covers uh, a wide variety. So well, it, and I, I, it okay. covers uh, not just, you know, that concept. So it discover it, So they go over like SETI applications. Um, yeah. So the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. But it also goes over, you know, that search and how close we're getting to the microbes. Now, when he talks about us being on the verge, he is talking about more about the microbes or, or something like that. But um, still, it's it's interesting because I think what has happened over the last few years and keeps continuing to happen is mainstream scientists seem to get more and more excited about this idea. Well, I think you're right, and I think the reason for that is they've accepted the idea that um, 200 years ago, um, when we had when we had hardly any technology, look at how far we've come and how much we know in just a very short amount of time, you know, by the scheme of things. And so, as long as we don't get into a world war where we just destroy ourselves, then then there will be more time. There will be a future and there will be more discoveries uh very very simply when i see a lot of the ufo stories that come past me uh that i could write about i i, I don't find them really compelling and i don't think that my readers will find them compelling either and so i i'm very fascinated with all of the other new discoveries that are coming out involving astrobiology it's like it's like it's almost like there's an exoplanet of the week now <laughs> that's being discovered. And and I, I like that. There are many, many planets out there. there there's, I'm going to write about one just, uh, tomorrow, uh, a, a new exoplanet. They're calling it the warm Neptune. But it's not our planet Neptune. It's a new exoplanet. And they're saying that, that we've already detected that there's water in its atmosphere and strange cloud formations. That's really fascinating. I mean, who knows what that that means? But but boy, uh, I love to write about that now. I agree with you. I read about that Neptune-ish planet today, mm. and it does seem fascinating. I didn't read a whole lot about it, but you know what you said about there being an exoplanet of the day. <laughs> it does seem to be the case. It's almost like at this point. You know, uh, like if your beat was exoplanets, you would have like an exoplanet to write about every day. That's actually true, because now now that I know <clears throat> um, a couple of weeks ago, 
uh, Time Magazine put out their list, their annual list of the top 100 most influential people in the world. And three of those people are planet hunters. Oh, (laughs) yeah, I noticed that. And, you know, I did a, I did a story about that and, mm-hmm. and I was so fascinated by what one of, of the scientists said. In fact, uh, she, um, she is the team leader of the Kepler spacecraft mission. Hmm. And, and for, for people who've been even just marginally interested in all the planets that have been discovered, the, the little spacecraft known as Kepler has been discovering planet after planet after planet and and the way it works is um it has so far detected about five thousand possible planet candidates and what has to happen with each of those candidates scientists have to take the individual planet and watch how it orbits its parent star to see if it's consistent, if it's if it's consistently passing in front of its star so that the star's light dims a little bit and shows that we're looking at a, a small object that's or- orbiting a big star. So th- that can take sometimes a year or two years for them to make that determination. So the numbers are out of about 5,000 planet contenders, uh, about 2,600 have been confirmed. And that's a really interesting number. Mm-hmm. That means we know these are definite planets that are orbiting stars. And and the scientist went took it another step. She said, and I've actually had some people come back to me and say, wow, how can she say that? How can we know that? Well, <clears throat> a lot of astronomers are agreeing with her when she says, right now we know that for every star, that you can see in the sky, it has at least one planet orbiting it. For every star. Now, now, now they're not saying that that one planet could be with life on it, could be at the right distance from the star, that it might have liquid water or, you know, whatever. All they're saying is statistically, we're at the point now where every star that you look at in the sky has at least one planet. And then she took it one step further, and she said, and I love this, the next time you look up into the starry night, especially if it's on a clear night, and you can even see part of the Milky Way, and you can see thousands and thousands of stars, she said, don't look at it as if you're looking at stars. Remind yourself you're looking at thousands of solar systems. Oh, my God, do I love that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, when I read your story and uh, your title, um, uh, that just like really hit me. The idea that every star is a solar system. And and like you said, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, people have argued with you on that. But even if. You know, uh, the idea, which I don't think everybody would argue, the majority of stars you're looking at are actually solar system. That is amazing. I mean, that is so incredible. And the idea that, um, and we'll get into this, you know, uh, of course that, you know, we're a solar system and we don't know that, you know, the one solar system that we know very well has a planet that has life with intelligence on it. We don't know that every solar system isn't like that. That's right. Uh, and, and, and when you look at pictures 
some of the best pictures taken by the Hubble Space Telescope of star clusters in just within our little galactic neighborhood of the Milky Way. And, and you're, you're, it just takes your breath away when you see these thousands and thousands and thousands of little points of light. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And, and several years ago, Hubble took some other pictures in what has now uh, come to be known as the Hubble Deep Field mm-hmm. imagery. And, and what, what the researchers, what the engineers told Hubble to do was to find some p- dark patches in the night sky. Uh, and I think the first tr- time they tried this, they, they had Hubble aim its mirrors and its lens in the area of uh, Ursa Major, the Big Dipper. And they said to Hubble, just open it up because we can see a lot of dark areas there where we know there are no stars. So just punch it up. Just let them know if there's anything else out there. And, oh, my God, the pictures that came back, the first pictures clearly showed 10,000 galaxies. And then they realized, whoa, wait a minute. If that's typical of everything around us, and then they did the math, and here comes the head exploding again. And they're, start, they're, they're talking now about billions and billions of galaxies, and those galaxies have billions and billions of suns, and those suns have trillions and trillions of planets. Can you can you feel my head exploding as we get into this? Uh-huh. It, it's like it's like how can we grasp that? Uh-huh. We can't. You know what? Uh huh. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, how can we grasp it? Because because we can't. We can only maybe talk about it, but we're not even sure what we're talking about because it's part of reality, and that's a little scary. But it's true. Yeah, and you know what else is scary and true? What this reminds me of. I mean, this is an area where we're getting so much data coming in that we can't handle it. I mean, there's so much data coming in, and it takes so much analysis to look into it that what we'll discover in there is amazing. Another field that reminds me of it is DNA. We're getting so Mm. much data on DNA that, you know, if someone, when people study it, we're we're learning how to unlock things and change things. There was a story the other day how – if you're gonna, if you live another fifty years, most likely you're gonna live a thousand years. Meaning that they think, you know, we're that close to being able to unlock aging to where people will age much more slowly. I mean, yeah. the discoveries on the horizon are extraordinary in these two areas where we're just flooded with information, and it seems to really be having an impact on scientists and. The reason I say this in particular is a couple other stories you've talked about. So, and and we'll talk about each of them or that you've written about in particular. So, one about a Harvard scientist that's talking about, you know, radio beams being used for, or, you know, aliens could be using those to travel the universe. Or this other astrophysicist that you wrote about who uh, has talked about ETs may have already lived and died in our own solar system. I mean, scientists yeah. are really really taking all of these numbers to heart and uh, going speculating in ways where when we were growing up, uh, regardless of our generations, um, you know, 
those were sci-fi writers who were speculating those things, not scientists like they are now. Yeah. You know, the, this this one that you just mentioned about ETs may have already lived and died in our solar system. Uh, what what he's basically saying, and he's um, his name is Jason Wright. He's an astrophysicist from Pennsylvania State University. And, and he, he's basically suggesting that, that ancient aliens may have already lived on some of the nearby planets in our solar system hundreds of millions of years ago. Uh, but 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 for whatever reasons, when they vanished, they they vanished so far as, as far as we know without a trace, and and he's he's suggesting that we we have to figure out what what kind of things to look for that might still be around, mm. and you know the people who go crazy every day, um, looking at all the uh, the Martian rover pictures and claiming that they see spoons and rats and homes and cars and and things. They're saying, see, there it is. Big There's foot. proof. You know, than Bigfoot, <laughs> which is true, um, they, they they did think they saw Bigfoot. I, I, I must have missed that particular day, um, but no, no, you'll it, remember it's it. Funny. I think you wrote about it even, but uh, that was a few years ago. But anyway, did, did I write about Big, big Mars? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, I hope I wrote about it um, with with uh, with an ounce of. You know, speculation and suspicion. Oh, I'm sure you uh, did. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's like we. When I interviewed this this professor, I asked him how, how far back does he think you have to go in time to find where aliens might have lived somewhere else in our solar system, and if maybe any of them are still lingering out there. And and he, he's he's pretty convinced that there there aren't any now. That uh, we've we've explored our solar system robotically, and it just doesn't seem like any aliens have left stuff behind that we could still find, because planetary um, the, the planets themselves physically change over eons. Uh, the, the planetary tectonics change, and things get get covered, and that kind of stuff has happened here on Earth. So it's really it's really difficult to find things. I mean, how far down in the ground do you have to drill to find dinosaur bones here? Mm -hmm. And uh, people are talking about, well, how far are we going to have to drill with a robot spacecraft uh, on the surface of Europa, one of the main moons of Jupiter, before we can uh, find our way clear to hitting part of the big ocean that we think is there? And and what what kind of surprises might we find there? But, but you know... And, and here's one of the things that's frustrating, Alejandro, is is that people think, well, all right, let's 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 go, let's put a ship together next week, let's launch it the week after. Well, we'll get to Jupiter what, like a month later? No, try six years later. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, and then what happens is, I think the next step for going to Europa, for example, is to send a, a robotic spacecraft there, and and that spacecraft, I don't believe, will even land it will just orbit closer to europa than any other ship has that we've sent out there and and then we'd have to send another ship out there to actually see if we can dig into the crust and i believe that when president trump gave nasa the most recent budget for the year coming up 2018 
I believe that they realize that there's not enough money in there to send a ship to Europa. Yeah, that's um, unfortunate. So this, yeah, it, it's it's part of the frustration. It's like, you know, uh, especially for like old guys like you and me, <laughs> you know, Generation X and bo- baby boomer here. Like, <laughs> how much longer can we wait? Can we wait and hold out that we're still going to be around when anything is discovered? I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. That's very frustrating to me. Well, uh, who about, knows about what it is that I write about? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I hope you're wrong. Uh, that uh, you know anything will be because I mean Mars might have something. But back to your point, you know, with what the astrophysicist was talking about. Um, it's very similar, yeah. it seems, to what Ben McGee, our mutual friend, had said. He even did a talk at the UFO Congress about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what he ha- talks about as xenoarchaeology. Um, but he talks about the same issues you're talking about now. His point is that archaeologists look at a police investigation scene, uh, for example, and they think, oh my god, these guys are destroying all the evidence because archaeologists are so careful and how they uh, extract artifacts from a site. And his point being that if we're going to look for those sort of artifacts on other planets, then we better uh, create a discipline called xenoarchaeology where we understand the tools that will be necessary. But he makes the point, like you just did, that even if we start that field, people would study for years. It would take years for uh, the... the, uh, spacecraft to incorporate these ideas and then even more years to develop these craft and these tools and then even more years to send them out into space and and for them to get anywhere so yeah it is frustrating when we talk about these exciting at least projects and and craft getting to europa that the timelines are so large we we what we need literally is Warp drive from Star Trek or hyperspace from Star Wars. Or to live a thousand years old. We need that. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I I know. I mean, we, but we need that kind of technology to get us to places sooner. Yeah. Because, because even the science, the scientists who are working on these projects now for NASA, or for the uh, the European Space Agency and, and and other organizations, these people aren't going to be around by the time that we might have some more technology that can that can show us or to show them that their missions might actually be be possible. They mm-hmm. won't be around. So so I I feel their frustration as well. Um, it it's just not easy. You know, many times I've thought that I I I, I was born. About 300 years too soon, I would rather have been born in the 23rd century of the Starship Enterprise. And it's like, you know, you know, give me warp speed, you know, Mitsulu. Let's go. Let's get to Jupiter in like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, now that might uh, not happen during true. your lifetime. True. Well, that's true. That's true because I'll, I'll be too too chicken to even get on one of those spaceships. <laughs> but um. I mean, by, by the time we, we have, yes. What were you saying? Sorry. Nope, you were saying. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, that was a nice pause. We'll put a couple of commercial spots in there. No, 
You know, I was just going to say that as we get older and as the technology of these things gets more interesting uh, and more sophisticated, you know, we, we people of, of our age, age group now, we'll be spending a, a lot more of our time just doing what we can to just keep walking and staying healthy, you know, for the rest of our lives. And, and that's also part of the frustration of living in this time. Uh, at least it is for me. I'm not, you know, I can't speak for everybody else, but I, I wish things were moving much faster technologically so that we, we could do things. I saw a thing a couple of weeks ago where we're very close. I think this summer, one of the countries in the world is going to start offering um, a hovering uh, taxi cabs. <laughs> can, can you imagine that over, over New York City, hovering taxi cabs uh, where there's already too much air traffic? <laughs> so, I have a feeling, you know, when um, we it, talk like, about all of this, that you're it makes you very self-reflective and that you think a lot about your own mortality uh, in these topics, and this, which is kind of strange uh, to me. And it, it's surprising because mm. uh, when I read your stories about these exciting discoveries yeah. that are happening on a daily basis, it makes me excited for right here and right now. Um Whereas it seems like when you're writing these stories, yeah. a lot of this stuff makes you feel like, oh, man, you know, uh, this is cool stuff, but the fruits of these efforts aren't going to be realized for many years. <clears throat> well, I can remember um, growing up in New Hampshire and, and going to movies and seeing all the, all the great science fiction movies of the past and marveling at all the technology and all the travel. Whether you're, whether you're time traveling or space traveling, um, and and I, I remember getting caught up in all of that, and then and then being part of the original space program with all the astronauts and the moonshots, and, and and I got caught up in that, and and I do get caught up now with the stories that I'm writing about because I, I want to convey some kind of excitement or fascination, or maybe hope to the readers so that they don't give hope that, that there's going to be a future in science. I mean, I remember when, when I heard that, that the president um, wasn't giving NASA the budget that they really needed to, to make these kinds of things happen. Uh, they, they, they were hoping for enough money to go to, um, to do a manned mission to an asteroid, and to figure out how to best protect our planet from any wandering asteroids that might be headed in our direction because we don't yet have the working technology to prevent an asteroid from hitting us. And NASA had many plans on the drawing board to figure out how to do that. And, and now they don't have enough money to do it for a few years because you get a lot of scientists who are saying, well, we've been tracking the asteroids, so we know which ones are a threat to Earth. So we're pretty good for a couple of hundred years. <laughs> Duh! I mean, how to, how to deflate you know, your attitude and say, well, wait a minute. The, 
the big meteorite that came crashing over Russia like three or four years ago and broke a lot of windows, caused a lot of people to get hurt when this thing came out of the sky, uh, sonic booms like crazy. One of the scientists who I had talked to said to me, we didn't know that thing was coming. It took us by surprise. It came in that fast. I went, mm. really? We, 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 don't have, we don't have a system set up? To, well, he said, you know, most of the big ones that are out there between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter in the asteroid belt, we, we pretty much kind of know uh, what their orbits are, and we, we can track them. But there are others that, that they can slip by, because remember, when they're coming at us from the, from the darkness of space, and if the sun is not really shining on them, we might not see until it's too late because it's so dark. Like, oh, I didn't realize that. And he's right. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, you, you would think that, that the planet, boy, at the very least, wouldn't the nations of our planet be, be wise enough to put some money into putting a planetary defense system together to deflect any incoming rocks? that could cause us some problems. I, I mean, really, you, know, you, you do what's right to protect yourself, including your planet. Mm-hmm. So I've been writing about some of that stuff, too, the asteroids, because that, that's the kind of thing that, that frightens me. The fact that we just don't know. With a lot of this, a lot of it is, it's like a crapshoot. We're either going to get by, we keep hearing the stories about how, well, next Wednesday at 2 o'clock, Asteroid QRXYZ is going to uh, come close to the Earth by about uh, 1.5 million miles. And, and then, you know, the news reporters will say, well, well, that's like just as the crow flies. That's nothing, you know. It's just going to skim by us. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Skimming by us doesn't mean that we're ready to protect ourselves from it. And I would just think that, our attitude about that should change. Mm-hmm. It's just me. Well, our attitude towards most things along those lines are, when it comes to the natural world, is not to learn more and protect ourselves currently. It's more yeah, uh, to make yeah. money off of it uh, and for the short-term effects. But uh, now you're bumming me out. Uh, I, I know. If, <laughs> if we... Well... Well, you know, if, if we're not going to be here to enjoy the fruits <laughs> of our labor, the, the, a lot of scientists are saying we, we really should go to some of these asteroids because there's a lot of interesting material there that we can use, that we can mine, that we can use as points of departure to, to get us to Mars and, and to some of the other planets. Uh, we just need to be able to do this systematically. And if they don't have enough money to do it, it, it's like, well, why are we doing this? Why do we have a space program? Uh, I mean, I'm very happy that we have Kepler and that next year um, we're going to have this amazing new telescope called the James Webb Telescope. It's going to be able to reach further out into the universe than Hubble. And, and, and in, in fact, uh, that telescope and I think one other will actually be able to, to look at and show us the disks of exoplanets where we're not able to do that yet. Mm-hmm. And and that'll be interesting. And we're, and we're not going to have to wait a year. I, I mean, no, I'm saying we will have to only wait about a year 
instead of waiting like seven years to send a, a ship back to Saturn or Jupiter. Mm-hmm. I mean, we will we will soon be able to actually see other planets instead of just seeing artist illustrations that I keep putting in my stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I would like to see what some of these planets look like. Uh, that w- that'll be very fascinating, I think. Yeah. Well, since the tone has kind of gone to a more uh, less positive type of area, I guess I could bring up this story, too, which I, I, I'm interested to hear what your reaction and how you felt about this story was, uh, you know, the NASA astronaut who explained why he knows aliens have not visited Earth. I know. <clears throat> you know, I, I come up upon this kind of thing a lot. Every time I have interviewed an astronaut over, over the years that I've been talking to astronauts, I always make it a point to ask them, um, what do you think about UFOs? Have you ever seen anything that you couldn't explain? Uh, if you talk to any of your colleagues, have you ever been told anything? Is, is there a, like a, um, a point of departure that NASA will allow you guys to talk about? And, and you and I are talking about Alan Bean. Now, Alan Bean was, was one of the, one of the moon rockers, uh, walkers. Uh, he was on, uh, Apollo 12. I believe he was the fourth astronaut after Armstrong and Buzz. And, and he continued with the space program. Uh, he did, he did missions on Skylab and he was part of the, um, the joint American-Russian Apollo Soyuz test flight, and and now what he does, you know, when he retired from NASA, he became an artist and he paints experiences of his fellow moonwalkers, um, and he's very good at it, and and he basically he told uh, an Australian news site uh, uh, basically, and, and this is a quote from him. He said, "I do not believe." that anyone from outer space has ever visited the Earth. And he said, one of the reasons I don't believe they've been here is that civilizations that are more advanced are more altruistic and friendly, like Earth, which is better than it used to be. So they would have landed and said, and I love this part of it, Alejandro, they would have landed and said, we come in peace. And we know from our studies that you you people have cancer, that kills people. Well, we solved that problem 50 years ago. And here's the gadget that we can put on a person's chest and it will cure cancer. We will show you how to make it. And, you know, I was reading this, Alonjo, and I'm thinking, well, that's what Dr. McCoy has in Star Trek. <laughs> you know, he has a little device, a little tricorder, and he can, he can take care of people's diseases. And yet this, this, this astronaut, Alan Bean, is, is saying that, well, if they were astronauts from another planet, they would be, they would be, of course, very friendly and they would help us solve cancer. And I was, I read that and I thought, no, how do you know that, Mr. Astronaut? How could you possibly know what another civilization might think, what their technology is, how they would feel about us? How could you know that? And that's my gripe with a lot of these people, with a lot of scientists who, who claim that None of this can be happening. We're not being visited by anyone because they couldn't possibly get here. <clears throat> but if anybody did get here, well, we can tell you why they would do this and that. How can we tell you 
what was what would go on? Remember a few years ago, um, I believe uh, when Pope Francis was asked uh, what he would do if if there were Martians that actually came and and how he would react if if one of them asked to be baptized, and the Pope said, "Well, if a Martian wants to be baptized, why would we say no?" <laughs> you know, it, you know, I I would have preferred if the Pope had said something like, "If we're going to be visited by someone from." 33 light years away, how do we know that they even know what baptism is? Mm-hmm. How do we know what's important to them on a spiritual level? How can we know this stuff? Well, and, and but I mean... Me is, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, but I mean, it, I think it's fair in their defense to speculate. We speculate. A lot of what we... All of this stuff is just purely speculation. We don't know... A lot, but we all have our right. speculations and our beliefs based off of our world views. So I could see why the Pope, I mean, some people believe that, you know, uh, in fact, that's what a lot of the theologians believe is that Jesus has had man, has probably manifested in the forms of, of uh, extraterrestrials if they're out there and to preach and to to try and save them so they would know and that's what theologians believe um now this alan bean guy i think it's fair for him to speculate and have this idea although when he uses the word he knows that's going a little far he doesn't know he's speculating like everybody else yeah so i guess that's some ego you know i i am Right, and and he, you know he's entitled to his opinion. I mean, he walked on the moon. And I give him that, but it doesn't mean that he can he can start proselytizing about something that he truly doesn't know about. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's that's a, that's I have a problem with with people who do that when they just think that that they know more about what's going on in the universe and the rest of the public, and and they try and push their ideas onto them like snake oil salespeople from the old west. <laughs> uh, I, I don't like that attitude. It's a you're taking advantage of people out there who really want to believe in something. And uh, and I, I don't like the idea of just trying to to formulate people's beliefs when you don't really know the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would much rather hear people who like Alan Bean say, you know what? I don't know the answer. Because he he also said for that story, he said there there are billions of stars and that these stars have planets around them. And then he said, so statistically, there must be many planets around many stars that have formed life. And and I like that. That's a good statement. It makes sense. Um, he he can like just stay with that and give people hope that wow, there probably is life out there, mm-hmm. whatever kind of life that is. That gives people hope. So, what do you um, think and, then? And I, I'm... Yeah, what do you think <clears throat> then of someone else you've written about lately who uh, has also speculated uh, about his own belief systems? And I actually wrote about uh, him. Well, before we both have, I have a Huffington Post on, on what he's talked about this before. But um, uh, Ridley Scott. What do you think about him coming <laughs> yeah, out and saying yeah, what he's you know, saying? He has a well, very different take. You know, 
I, I know. And the, the thing about Ridley Scott, and for, for your audience who may not know who Ridley Scott is and what he's actually currently promoting, which is the latest in the Alien movie franchise. Which I saw last Alien night. Covenant. And, oh, and, and did you like it? I don't know. It was okay. It was another Alien movie. And if you know what Alien movies are, oh. uh, you know what's going to happen. Now, I love space, and it has some beautiful space shots. Uh, you know, of course, it's CG, but some beautiful mm. shots of the, the spaceship flying in space and, and, you know, flying around this planet and, and beautiful shots of this planet. Um, but otherwise, it was an alien movie. I mean, it was it was uh, so nothing super exciting to me, but um, but certainly you can understand. I mean, Ridley Scott's views of aliens uh, like I think right. you're going to get into just now. I mean, he doesn't really have, I think, a positive view outlook on anything at all. Humans right. or and, aliens. Well, he, he's going around. <laughs> yeah, he, he's promoting this film. He wants people to go to see it. And in one of the interviews that, that he gave a couple, like a couple of weeks ago, um, he, he was very clever, I thought, when he, he let the interviewers know uh, that I, actually, I think he was on stage and he was just talking to an audience and he basically said he thinks aliens really exist and we should be afraid of them. Um, and then he said, I believe in superior beings. And and then he went on this an expert Aww, who he called an expert that he was talking to someone at NASA, apparently or allegedly told Ridley he said, have you ever looked into the sky at night and, and you mean we're the only ones here or we're it? Well, that's ridiculous. Well, I, I go along with that. You know, I, <laughs> I believe that. Um, and and, and then, then Scott said something like that he was told there was something like 100 or 200 entities, aliens, that could have a similar evolution to what we're going through now. So then, then he, he ends his little thing about aliens by saying so if you see a big thing in the sky run for it and you know when i when i saw that quote i was sure what he meant by that when he said run for it was he saying run towards the object or run away from the object i think away i'm pretty sure he meant away <laughs> couldn't figure that out i'm pretty sure he meant away because he said that they <laughs> they would uh they'll wipe you out or something like that i forget his exact quote but it was something similar to that um, essentially don't mess with them. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he has, uh, yeah, he, he said, he, yeah, a different take. Well, I was, I was just going to, well, I was going to say that he said that, um, uh, he says they're a lot smarter than we are. Uh, and he thinks that earthlings should show a little respect to the aliens. And he, he, his quote ends with they're a lot smarter. And if you're stupid enough to challenge them, you'll be taken out in three seconds. Yeah. And and you know, and I'm thinking, I I, I wouldn't even think it would take that long, three seconds. I, in about a second, I think aliens with their technology could take care of us in a lot shorter time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, we know well, there have been really. incidents where the Air Force uh, has scrambled jets to chase strange yeah. lights in the sky yeah. and this. The lights seem to disappear or outmaneuver them. 
Um, or even more incredible, like, uh, you know, in, in Iran in the 70s, that case where he shot at this object or another right. similar case That's in right. the Air Force that did this in what Chile, I think it was. So um, if those were the type of things he's talking about, luckily, it seems like they were a little more uh, a little more Alan Bean alien ish in that at least they just <laughs> said, get away from me, you little bug. And, and they didn't uh, hurt anybody. But um... yeah, I think, and you and I, you and I both know, generally speaking, the aggression you us being aggressive toward them they, they don't kind of come along and start chasing our airplanes and our you know and our, and our military jet fighters look, looking for a fight you know we're the ones who are going up there thinking well we better bring this ship down mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um, uh just love the, well, i love the attitude yeah. and, and people wonder why they don't land on the white house lawn and say here we are let's be friends Mm-hmm. Pretty funny. So I guess when it comes down to, uh, or I guess, you know, now that we're kind of getting long on time and we probably ought to kind of wrap things up, I did want to talk about something that is a little off topic. It's still extraterrestrial, and uh, that's what's fun about okay. all this, because I think people yeah. are still into space and, and, and stuff, you know, um, if they're interested in UFOs. So uh, just your last story. Uh, which I thought was really cool. Uh, another thing that came out, and it's just what I like about a lot of this and a lot of the space stuff, which is just, I've always been interested in space, even before we started making these discoveries. But so many times, what is discovered is completely different than what we would expect to discover. And now that right. we're learning more and more about Jupiter... I mean, it is super weird. And you wrote about these gigantic oh, yeah. oval storms, yeah. but they're finding so much weird yeah. stuff on Jupiter. So tell us a little and, bit more and, about and that. And not, yeah, and, and not just on Jupiter. For for, 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 for decades, um, what, what happened was we, we were always under the impression that um, Jupiter, Saturn, and other gaseous planets didn't really have solid cores. These gigantic balls of gas constantly spinning around and holding their shape by gravitational forces and magnetism. And, hmm. and, and now they're not sure because of the information coming back from, from the Cassini spacecraft. Uh, they're, they're not sure... Um, not the Cassini, but uh, but the Juno spacecraft, because Cassini is at Saturn, amazing things. But um, the Juno spacecraft is coming back with information that indicates these amazing storms, and and they're, they're not sure how much more magnetism is around this planet, and just how really dangerous it is uh, compared to all of the other planets um, in the solar system. And and how, how much more irregular magnetic field is about Jupiter, and and some of these storms that the Juno craft has photographed, some of these storms are as big as big as the Earth. Yeah, I mean, even the Great Red Spot, that that 
amazingly famous red cyclone that's been uh, photographed and video and filmed on, on Jupiter for decades, you could fit three Earths side by side into that storm. I mean, these are incredible numbers for how, how the sizes that we're talking about. Um, and, and so, and, you know, and then, and, then, and then you've got all these moons that are circling both Saturn and Jupiter, and now we're finding almost daily moons that are showing signs of liquid ocean methane and 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 it's like really what what is going on here why why are we suddenly finding water in places that we never thought was there before um it, it it's like we have to keep exploring we have to we have to go back to these places because you know i i there are a lot of things that stephen hawking professor stephen hawking theoretically the smartest man on the planet he keeps saying that if, if mankind, if earthlings are going to survive, we are going to have to leave Earth and find another place to live. And that we'd better do it within the next thousand years. So we have to start setting the pace for our future generations to get ready to leave our planet because our planet will not be able to sustain us if it keeps going in the direction that we're taking it. So that that's a big deal that when you get a guy like him saying, "Hey, we we need to get ready. We need to pack our bags and stop thinking where where else we're going to move to." Um, I I don't think enough people totally get that or take him seriously enough about, about that. Um, the stuff that's going on in Jupiter that we never knew before. This is important for us to know that. Our planet can be impacted by things like Jupiter. I said, I said in my story the other day about Jupiter. I said, look, um, you, you can see these great pictures that are in my story, but why don't you go outside tonight and have your own interaction with Jupiter? If you've got a clear, starry night all this week, Jupiter and the Moon are doing a little dance in the sky, and just look up, and even. With a small pair of binoculars, just focus in on Jupiter, and you will see not only Jupiter, but its four main moons, including Europa, that has that ocean. That's, mm-hmm. that's like an amazing thing uh, to tell people to do. You know, it's like, hey, folks, it's not just an astronomy 101 lesson. Go outside, look at this thing, and, and tell yourself you're lo- looking that dot in the sky could have an ocean around it. Well, not could. Astronomers think that Europa is a gigantic ocean with maybe life. But that that's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, so I, when you, you said before that I was bringing you down because I wasn't excited about a lot of things. Well, I'm excited <laughs> about this kind of stuff. I, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that we're not already there digging, digging into Europa and finding life. I, I just love that kind of stuff. Uh, that is really good to hear because uh, I was hoping that we would be able to wrap this up on a positive note and uh, and 
certainly that's something we share and I think the listeners share, like I mentioned earlier, is the wonder of space. And I think, you know, you yes. make a really, really good point that you can have your own personal interaction. You can go out there and look and see Europa at, and possibly be looking at a planet with, you know, maybe even large uh creatures swimming around in that ocean yeah i know yeah um and and you know the other thing about looking at jupiter and its four moons it's like you went outside tonight and looked at jupiter and you saw the moons like maybe two on either side of jupiter and then if you go out tomorrow night and you look at it again you might see three of the moons on one side of jupiter and one on the other because these moons are orbiting Jupiter, and they do it like every day. So their positions change every day. I think that's amazing that you can just go out and see that that they change their position. Mm-hmm. That's that's fascinating to me. That's astronomy. It's it opens the imagination to what's going on out there, and all you have to do is look up and see it. Amazing stuff. Well, thank you uh, for joining us once again, Lee. Lots of fascinating and fun stuff. And it's always great to have you. Thank you. And it's always great to be here. Thank you so much to my good buddy, Lee Spiegel. Some really cool, interesting stuff. He's such a funny guy. I love talking to Lee. So um, insightful. And uh, we always get feedback on his feelings about his readers, don't we? So... Uh, yeah, so that's what I mean by insightful, I guess. But really interesting stuff. If you haven't read his articles, we post them at the Open Minds. Uh, uh, well, often, if they're ET or, or alien related, we post them at the Open Minds um, UFO News group. Or uh, I post them regardless of what he's writing about on my Facebook page. So you could go to my Facebook page or the Open Minds Facebook page. I guess if you want to get them all, you could go to mine. And I think I'm better than at posting his stories than he is. So I'm out there promoting on Twitter and, and Facebook his stories. It feels like more often than he is. So uh, he's just busy writing. So he's got to get these stories out, interview these scientists and and uh, aliens and uh, UFO pilots and stuff, and uh, get the stories out. So uh, he provides a great service. It's wonderful to have you know, a mainstream media person doing this sort of thing. Uh, he's like the only dude out there doing it. So good on you, Lee Spiegel. So thank you again to Lee. You can go to HuffPost and Google Lee Spiegel. Or even if you just Google Lee Spiegel, you'll find all of his stories and some really interesting stuff. I, In fact, this new one he was talking about, about the dolphins, I noticed. Uh, I think they had it on the front page. I saw it on some feed. So uh, it's getting some traction already because, of course, it sounds fascinating. So really interesting stuff. So check that out. I also want to thank Martin Willis again so much for being on the show and and helping us with the news at the beginning of the show. Uh, Also, don't forget that we have our Open Minds video portal where you can see lectures from the UFO Congress. Uh, We actually just posted last week Yvonne Smith 
So Yvonne actually won a lifetime achievement at our conference award because she's been doing this for years. And uh, if you go to our YouTube, you can see the free video of her winning that award and some really cool footage of her on different television shows back in the 90s, you know, promoting her work. So uh, you could watch her lecture right now on the on-demand uh, video portal, which, of course, you can find at openminds.tv. We've got ads all over it there for you to find it. And uh, it's just a really low monthly fee. And you can see literally hundreds of videos. Uh, some of the best UFO lecture stuff out there. So I think it's a great way to learn. I mean, if you uh, are curious about an author uh, and if you should buy their books or not, it's a great way to get some insight on some information. Not only that, I think it's a very efficient way to learn a lot quickly and uh, then you know what sort of books to buy or, or what sort of uh, research to get into um, or you know if you don't have time to do all of that research just like this podcast you're it's a, it's a quick way you know an hour and a half a pop to be able to get a lot of information and, and find out more about the work that all of these people do um, in their own words and uh, with it being in video, you get to see them and, of course, their PowerPoints and any videos they may be showing. So really good stuff. Go to OpenMinds.tv for that. All right. Well, I want to thank Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. And the last, I would like to thank you, the listeners, for being here. I do have shows scheduled for the next couple weeks. So ahead of the game right now. Uh, before I head to my cruise in early June, so of course I won't have a show then, but uh, I think I'm going to be able to post a show early that week, uh, maybe, or maybe just save it to when I get back to make sure that there's only a one-week gap there. But um, I've got it covered, guys. I've got lots of interesting coming stuff coming up here for you. So stay tuned, and we will talk to you next week, people. Adios, muchachos. <laughs>